Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about Abraham's message from God of fear not and the importance of the first mention of these two words in Scripture to Abraham and us. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. We'd also like to encourage you to go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, to visit and see some of the new features as well as some of the free resources that we're continually putting up there. Now, one of the things you can do is sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse that will come directly to your email or to your phone. So you can go to our website today, friendshipwithgod.org, and sign up to receive Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse, as well as you can receive our newsletter from Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, and you'll hear how the gospel is going out to the Jew first through our Israel Restoration Ministries missionaries as we give out gospel gifts and reach lost Jewish people around the world. You'll hear some of these amazing testimonies by signing up for our newsletter, all at friendshipwithgod.org. And again, you can make a donation to support Jewish evangelism and this Bible teaching radio program continuing on the air. And your donation also has a matching support donation from Israel Restoration Ministries. So you can donate and support this radio program, keeping it on the air, but you'll also get a matching donation of support with monies going towards Jewish evangelism and outreach. So go to friendshipwithgod.org and donate online to continue this radio teaching program and evangelistic outreach going. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching on Fear Not from the Life of Abraham. And in the Bible, and as we read, we call out to God for a word, for a message to come to us. And as we're reading, sometimes nothing in the Bible does seem to connect with our situations. And so what do we do? We keep on reading. We keep on reading. We keep on searching. We keep on looking until all of a sudden there's a passage or there's a verse or there's a phrase or something just impresses us. And we think about it as we realize that was a word from the Lord. That was a message. That was a debar, a special message from God sent personally to me. And that was what the word of the Lord was referring to here. It's the word that's sent personally to us. And we wonder when that happens, how could God use a book that was written thousands of years ago and to send special messages to me? It amazes me, but it's true. It's a debar from the Lord. It's a word from the Lord. And then when we walk after that, we just hold our Bible just a little closer and we hold it just a little tighter because it's become just a little more special to us. And from that time on, that verse will never be the same. It'll never be the same because the Spirit of God has made that verse come alive. And it lives. It lives. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said in John 6, it's the Spirit that quickeneth, that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The word that I speak unto you, the debar, that I send to you, the word that I say unto you, the words that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. And that's the meaning of that verse. It comes out when those two words, you emphasize those two words and you get the meaning of that verse. Those two words are unto you. The words that I speak unto you. It's the debar that is unto you. That's the words which are spirit and their life. It's not just the Bible alone. It's not just having memorized the Bible. It's not just knowing the Bible that is spirit and life. It's when the Bible becomes personal. When God speaks to us personally from the Bible that it becomes spirit and life. 
And if a person never receives a personal debar, a personal message from God from the Bible, then there's a reason for concern. Because it either indicates that a person is not turning to the Bible in prayer, in searching, in looking, and letting God send his personal message from the Bible, or that person is just not on talking terms with God. There's no problem with God. But maybe that person has never been to Calvary to have his sins washed away to the sins that separate from Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Now, today, we have the Bible, and God sends his personal debars, his personal messages to us through the Bible. But in Abraham's day, there was no Bible. So God sent a message to Abraham, as it says, you notice in verse 1, in a vision. It was in a vision. Now, how did that vision work? I mean, what did he see? Well, I don't know exactly all that Abraham saw, but Abraham saw the Lord in the vision. Why? Because the next word says he saw in a vision, he saw God saying. So he saw God saying, which means that God was seen by Abraham, and, 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 and God sent to Abraham this personal message. Okay, so what's the message? The first word of this debar, this message that Abraham hears, is fear not, Abraham. Fear not. Fear not. Again, first term in the first time in the Bible this term is used, this phrase is used, because Abraham got afraid, got afraid several times in his life, and we get afraid. And we get afraid several times in our life, not just once. And Paul got afraid. Paul got afraid also in his life, and it says in 2 Corinthians 7, 5-6, about a time when Paul was just very much afraid. He was filled with fears, and he said, For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears." Nevertheless, God who comforteth those that are cast down. So notice he's referring to how bad this situation was, is being cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So Paul said that when he came to Macedonia to bring the knowledge of God to the lost people there, he didn't have any rest. He had no rest. And he said that his flesh had no rest, and we can identify with that. Sometimes we're so disturbed, so restless, so worked up. And he described it very graphically when he says, I turned on this side, I turned on that side. On every side there were fightings. There was so much trouble without were fightings. And then he says, okay, well, I'll just kind of retreat within myself. I'll look within. And he said, then I was afraid because he said within were fears. So he's afraid. And he said there, there was an answer, though. And the answer came from God. And he says, God, who comforteth those that are cast down. So he gives a description of God. He says, God's the one who comforts those who are cast down. And so what Paul was saying, that time and the time before and the next time that comes, time again and again and again, I've been there. I've been drowning in my fears And time and time again, I found God to be the rescuer, the one that just lifts me up out of that drowning there. And he did it this time by the coming of Titus. It was a very great encouragement when Titus came, and that happens with us as well. A fellow believer comes, a word, a smile, a prayer, a handshake, a sharing of a scripture, and we're comforted. And God uses that to bring us out of our fears. Now, then he goes on, back in Genesis, he says here, The third word is so important. So first he says, fear not. That's the first two words. Then he says, Abram. Now, it's just interesting here and just wonderful to note 
that God just didn't say to Abram, fear not, like straighten up. You know, what's the matter with you? Or as Jim used to say, what in the world? (laughs) And he could have said that, but he didn't say that. Again, he's emphasizing the personal nature of the message that he's sending, the Debar. It was a message sent personally to Abram. So he said, fear not, Abram. It's so fantastic that he uses his name, Abram. He says, fear not. God and then Abraham could say to himself after he hears this, he could say to himself, you know, God just called my name. He just called my name. He didn't just say something general. He called my name. And he could have walked away from that, musing and meditating, saying, I heard God call my name. And then the Debar takes on a whole new dimension for Abraham when he heard God call his name. Because by saying Abraham's name, there's a word, there's a particular word that God was meaning to convey to Abraham. And you know what that word is? It's the word precious. Precious. See, the word precious means something of great value, something that you you don't treat carelessly, you treat very carefully. Something to be cherished. I love the name of my wife, Cheryl. And not many, many kids, people don't name their kids very much Cheryl anymore. I don't know, it's fallen out of, it doesn't matter. But anyway, this is a very special name, Cheryl. Why? Because it comes from the word cherished. And that has behind it the meaning of the word precious. And when something is precious, you cherish it, and you take very special care of it, and you guard it, and you protect it, and you enjoy it. Why? Because it's precious. And by putting Abraham's name into God's debar here, his message, God was meaning to say to Abraham, you are precious to me. That's the message here. God was telling Abraham that Abraham was precious to God. You know, God made Abraham precious to him, and God makes us precious to him. And this is what he said. You might want to turn to it in Isaiah 13, 12. Isaiah 13, 12. Or you may not want to turn to it. It doesn't matter. I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) Okay, Isaiah 13, 12. It says this. This is God speaking. You got to understand that in Isaiah 13, 12, it's God who is speaking, and he says, I, as in God... I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. So you see in that verse how God is saying, I will do this. I will make a man more precious than fine gold. Man is made precious because of God. Man does not make himself precious to God. God makes man precious to himself. And God said this also, and if you want to turn to this, you can. Isaiah 43, 3 through 5, there's a passage I heard a little earlier this morning. It says, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. And then he says, Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee, therefore I will give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. So again, we have these words. Thou wast precious in my sight. See, I will make a man precious. Thou wast precious in my sight. And how God makes man precious is again emphasized when he says that verse that we always like to quote at funerals in Psalm 116.5, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Again, the emphasis in that verse is in the sight of the Lord. 
precious in the sight of the Lord. And with all those words that God said, I will make a man more precious than fine gold. Thou was precious in my sight. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. They all emphasize that God has made man precious to be cared for, to be protected, to be guarded, to be watched over. God did that. God has done that. And so God has made man precious, but man doesn't see man like God does. Man and God are not on the same page when it comes to this issue. And that's why you have in Lamentations 4.2, where God says, the precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, How are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter? See, there you really see in that verse in Lamentations 4.2, you really see how man and God are not at all on the same page. They're a universal way from each other when it comes to looking at the value of man. God says the precious sons of Zion, and it's from his point of view, comparable to fine gold, but then he said they are esteemed among themselves. Ah! Like an earthen vessel, like an earthen pitcher, the work of the men's of the potter. See, potter. See, this verse shows how God and man are not on the same page when it comes to how man is viewed. See, God calls the Jewish people the precious sons of Zion compared to fine gold. God looks on man and says they are precious comparable to fine gold. But man is not on the same page as that. God is surprised. He's surprised at that. And he says, how are they esteemed? As earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter, like God's saying, how is that possible? I see them as precious like fine gold, and they see they're just like nothing. God says man is as precious as fine gold, and man says that man has no more value than some old worthless clay pot. That's what he's saying here. God looks at man and says, as precious as fine gold, and man looks at man and says, no more value than clay pots. The potter makes a dime a dozen, nothing special. God looks at abortion and says, no, stop. That's a precious baby in there, as precious as fine gold. And man looks at abortion, and man says, abortion, why not? We've got the rights of the woman. She's got some rights. She wants to kick it out of her. Let her kick it out of her. The baby's not precious, just a worthless clump of cells, like a clay pot. Dime a dozen, any time, not precious. God looks at man, and he says, yatsar, yatsar. I formed man with my own hands, precious. Man looks at man and says, oh, what precious? Evolution. The result of time and chance and random processes, about as precious as a monkey in a cage in a zoo. So God and man, they're just not on the same page when it comes to seeing the value of man. See, God says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he saw man as so precious, and he loved man so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish should have everlasting life. So why did God send his son to die for man? Because God made man precious in his sight. Because God created him in his own image. Man says, a fairy tale. Science says evolution is truth. Creation is a myth. Why would God bother to give his son for something that is worthless as a product of evolution? Why would God give his son for a series of accidents that happened over time and because of chance and random process resulted in man? What's so precious about that? What's precious about man? See, that's the two different views. And so God and man don't share the same estimation of the value of man. God has made man as precious in his sight as fine gold. Man has made man as worthless as a common everyday clay pot. That's why it's so important in verse 1 when God called out Abraham's name. Because Abraham, when he did that, this is the king of the universe. This guy, the name of Abraham on his lips. 
And he's saying, you're, you're precious in my sight. And so are we. So are we precious in God's sight. So when God said to Abraham, fear not Abram, he's saying to Abraham that he should not fear, and that by saying his name, he was assuring, God was assuring Abraham that he saw everything that had happened to him and how Abraham was feeling, and God saw the empty feeling that Abraham was feeling, the emptiness, he saw the emptiness of it all, he saw the fear of it all, he felt the fear of it all that Abraham was feeling, and he had compassion. And then he says in verse 1, I am thy shield. And he says, now here's Jehovah Jesus, and he's telling Abraham why Abraham should not fear. Why should you not be afraid, Abraham? Because he says, I am thy shield. Tom, today you talked about God telling Abraham to fear not. Now, sometimes we all get very self-determined, but then get out too far in our self-determination and our own destiny. But I remember what Proverbs 3, 5 says, which is trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. So when does self-determination lean to our own understanding? That's a great verse. And that's a great question because we are told that we have a responsibility. But as you said in Proverbs 3, 5, we are also warned that we are not to lean out to our own understanding because Proverbs says in two places that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In other words, there is a way which seems right to our own understanding, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And that right way that seems right to us, it seems right to us that we are good, inherently good. It seems right write to us that we can impress God with our good works. But the end of that way is destruction, and there's no greater destruction than hell. Hell is the greatest destruction. So your question, when does self-determination become leaning to our own understanding? Well, in actuality, we don't lean to our own understanding when we obey God, when we trust God, when we turn to God, when we listen to God. And God gives very specific instruction. He gives guidance for us in Deuteronomy chapter 30 when he spoke through Moses to the Jewish people. And this very, very good verses here because they show us exactly, God says, in essence, God is saying in these verses and many verses in the Bible, I know that your heart is deceitful. I know that your understanding is flawed, so I'm going to help you. And if you turn to me and, li- and let me lead you, you will make the right decisions because I will counsel you, just as he said in Proverbs, where he said, I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also. So in other words, we look to God for for the teaching. Now, here's what it says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. Uh, This is God speaking through Moses to the Jewish people. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So we stop here and we look at this. Here God is saying, I command thee In other words, he's saying, this is what I'm commanding you to do. Number one, I'm commanding you to love the Lord thy God. That's the greatest commandment. I'm commanding you to love the Lord thy God, which will blossom out to you walk in his ways, you keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgment. And then he says, that thou mayest live. In other words, God is saying to the Jewish people and to every person, I am for you. I want you to live. Heaven is a place of eternal life. Hell is a place 
place of eternal death. I want you to live, that thou mayest live. If we could only hear, if all people could only hear God saying, I want you to live. I want you to be in heaven. I'm not barring you from heaven. I've swung heaven's door open through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want you to live, to go in there. And then it says, in verse 17, but this is a choice. Let me just back up and just say, verse 16 is a choice. He says, look, I'm commanding you. I'm not forcing you. It doesn't say, and that I force you this day to love the Lord thy God, or that I compel you this day to love the Lord thy God. He's saying, I'm commanding you, but still the choice is left with man. That's self-determination. The choice is left with man. And the proof that the choice is left with man is seen in the next verse, which is verse 17, when it says, but if thine heart turn away, stop. Why would man's heart turn away? Because he's decided to turn away. Because he's he said, I'm not going to listen to God. I've heard, I've heard the voice of God commanding me, but you know what? I say, no, I will not have this. I will not have anyone to rule over me. I say, no. So this is what, this is the case that God is covering in verse 17, when he says, but if thine heart turn away, your heart decides, but if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. So in other words, God is saying, if you decide to turn your own heart away so that you will not hear. Now, why why is it that they will not hear? Because they've like put cotton in their ears and, and stuffed their ears so they won't hear, in other words. And, and so God says, so you have made yourself so that you will not hear. If you're prejudiced, if you close the door, the minute that you hear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, that's it, I'm done, forget it. Slam the door, a literal door to my house or slam the door to my heart. And then God says, there's nothing I can do because you will not hear. And then it says, but shall be drawn away. Drawn away from who? Not away from what? Not away from a religion, but drawn away from the person, the person of God, the person of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're drawn away and you worship other gods. Now, we might look at something like that and say, what do you mean worship other gods? Who's worshiping other gods? I'm not a heathen. This is not Af- uh, This is not the tribes of Africa. You know, this is not, I'm not what, what other gods? Well, how about the God of of money. How about the God of possessions? How about the God of reputation? How about the God of self? How about the God of the worshiping at the academic shrine? How about the God of bodily pleasures? Those are like other gods. Those are like idols, and to worship those, you worship other gods and serve them. Then God says, if you'd make that choice, then verse 18 says, then God says, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish. And that's what hell is. It's a place of perish. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And God says, if I denounce it to you, if you take this choice, if you determine self, if you yourself determine that you are going to turn away from God, that's self-determination, then he says, you'll surely perish. You will not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to possess it. And then he says, I call heaven and earth to re- Record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. It's almost as if God has said, look, I'm not passive on this matter. He said, first of all, I'm calling all of heaven and earth to record your decision. And when a person comes to you or a person comes to anybody and presents to them, God so loved the world that he gave the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for their sins. Whenever that presentation is made so that whosoever 
believeth in him. That's the invitation. Whosoever believeth in him, God says, we all want to know, what's your decision? And God says, I so much want to know what's your decision. I'm calling heaven and earth to make a record right now. And so he says, I have set before you life and death. That's what John 3.16 is, the setting of God before man of life and death. He said, this is blessing, this is cursing. And then it's like God steps out of himself and he says, so therefore choose life. God says, can I tell you what you should do? Can I please for one more time, please tell you what you should do? Choose life that thou and thy son may live. In other words, thy seed may live. In other words, God is saying, I want you to live. I'm setting it before you, but the choice is yours. It's your self-determination between life and death and between blessing and cursing. And so he says, but now I'll just step in front and I'll tell you, please choose life that you may live because that's what I want for you, the best for you. I made you. That's the voice of God. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of our program, you can go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. You can also receive it through Facebook. Just search for Tom Cantor, Friendship with God, or Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook. There you can receive Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. Now, you can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org to keep this radio program going on this station and in your city. But we also have our January resource. It's three books from Tom Cantor, Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People, Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, and How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Jewish Messiah, Tom Cantor's Testimony. All three of these Tom Cantor books have been put into one amazing compilation book. You can have it for a $30 more donation, and remember, you get a matching donation from Israel Restoration Ministries. So not only are you getting a wonderful resource, you're also helping the gospel to go to the Jew first. Call us right now for this limited-time offer, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.com. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow.